and welcome to episode two of the App Association's podcast, Tech Swamp. Of course, we have our host and your friendly neighborhood membership team here today. Hey, Nick. Greetings, Alex. How are you doing? So great. Caitlin, what's up? You know, just just chilling. Just chilling. Uh, and this is Alex. Today, we're going to dive into the Cloud Act. But first, we're going to quickly talk tech history and run through some DC headlines. On February 26, 1991, the first web browser was introduced. Tim Berners-Lee introduced World Wide Web, no spaces, the first web browser and HTML editor. Um, it was created on Next Computer. Which, interesting fact, Steve Jobs was a co-founder of that company. That is a fun fact. <laughs> um, by the end of 1990, the first ever web page was served on the open internet by invite only. And in 1991, people outside of CERN, which was the European Organization for Nuclear Research, were invited to join. Some of the proposed names included the Mine of Information, and my personal favorite, the Information Mesh. So great. Uh, but ultimately, World Wide Web was chosen and later renamed Nexus. That's it for tech history. Do I hear coffee brewing? Oh, that must mean it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin, fill me in on some top tech headlines. Well, in cybersecurity-related news, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced the rollout of a new cybersecurity task force, which will canvas and identify the ways the DOJ attempts to combat growing cyber threats. It's interesting to me to see if this task force is going to tackle DOJ's issues with encryption. Something to watch out for in the future. It certainly is. And in other cybersecurity working group news, last week the Information Technology Industry Council and U.S. Telecom introduced the Council to Secure the Digital Economy, which aims to combat cyber threats and vulnerabilities. CDSC's partners include AT&T, IBM, NTT, and Verizon. Maybe the creation of these two cyber-related groups can do something to combat this startling statistic. A recent study shows that cybercrime takes a $600 billion toll on the global economy. Does anyone know how much that is in Bitcoin? Well, no one? Anyone? Jokes. <laughs> and I will leave you with this quick update on the Mueller investigation. Earlier this month, a federal grand jury indicted 13 Russian nationals and three Russian entities for a vast scheme to interfere in the 2016 election to help the Trump campaign win. Special Counsel Mueller says that the investigation is still ongoing. It's very interesting. And Nick, what about The Hill? Remember the last episode when we were talking about a government shutdown? I do. Well, we could be facing another one towards the end of March. As you know, earlier this year, the government went into a three-day shutdown after the Senate Dems fought for protections for DACA recipients. Democrats and Republicans eventually came to an agreement, leading to the passage of a short-term spending bill in the Senate and the House. Well, that funding ended February 8th, and the government technically shut down for a few hours, thanks, Senator Paul, until they were able to pass another funding bill, which expires March 23rd. In mid-February, the Senate held open debate on DACA and voted on four separate immigration bills. Spoiler alert, none of the bills passed, and because of that, we could experience uh, a glitch in the matrix in the Senate when it comes time for a vote for more government funding by March 23rd. Another item on policymakers' minds is net neutrality. For those keeping a score at home, the FCC's decision to repeal net neutrality hit the Federal Register last Thursday and started a 60-day countdown clock in the House and the Senate by the Congressional Review Act, commonly referred to as the CRA. This act allows Congress to overturn a decision made by a federal agency that they think is out of line or uh, not the best. While Congress has 60 legislative days to act, which would be sometime in July, we don't expect the Republican Congress to overturn this decision. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. 
And now it's time for our policy discussion, where we take a deep dive on a particular policy or regulation that affects the tech community. Today we're talking the Cloud Act and tomorrow's Supreme Court oral arguments between the U.S. and Microsoft. We're bringing back Graham, who talked us through ICPA last time, uh, but this time he'll talk us through the Cloud Act. Hey, Graham. Hello. Hello. <laughs> that wasn't even in the, in the script, and I said it. <laughs> what script? You don't, you don't have a script. Heck yeah. So, so Graham, what happened here? We left you alone for a month, and you, we had ICPA, and then you're here coming back with the Cloud Act. You're changing everything on us. What is this Cloud Act thing? That's a good question, uh, Nick. Uh, a lot has happened in the last couple of months, to be honest with you. Uh, ICPA and the Cloud Act both try to accomplish the same goal, and that is to deal with the conflicts between when U.S. law enforcement tries to get access to data from a U.S. provider and when that request happens to conflict with other laws, whether or not, uh, whether that's where the data is stored or uh, the citizenship of the person that the data is being sought about. Okay, awesome. So this sounds very similar to sort of ICPA. So how did this Cloud Act come together? Um, so what were the steps here? Who were the players involved? The main players were Department of Justice, which has obviously an enormous stake in this debate. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, who chairs the Subcommittee of Jurisdiction in the Senate. Um, Chairman Bob Goodlatte who chairs the full committee on the House side that deals with these issues. So those are the main players, and then we have the main sponsors of the bill uh, over on the Senate and in the House. Um, we were not really able to get to agreement over IC on ICPA. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a number of reasons for that that we could go down a rabbit hole on, but um, uh, as a general matter, the Cloud Act tries to deal with the conflicts between foreign laws and U.S. law by putting the U.S. into a comity agreements with mm -hmm. different countries. And that is designed to address these conflicts at the outset before they occur. ICPA did it a little bit different and set up a system where foreign governments or companies receiving requests from law enforcement could challenge the order and uh, wouldn't deal with the conflicts kind of uh, um, beforehand necessarily. Mm -hmm. DOJ finally signed off on the Cloud Act, whereas it still had some reservations about it. But. So as you're telling me, though, is so this time we have Democrats on board, we have Republicans on board, and the DOJ on board. It sounds like it's going to be pretty successful. So what's next from here? What, what should our members be uh, paying attention to in the, in the timeline moving forward? Yeah, I think there is going to be an aggressive push to try and put the Cloud Act actually on the next spending measure, and mm -hmm. that'll be... March 23rd, when the government runs out of funding next. Um, that may run into some obstacles. It is a tall order because uh, you have the Senate side already having done their process on the bill, but the House side really hasn't done their own markup, for example, in mm -hmm. the committee. And so that may slow things down a little bit, but we're hopeful that because there is such broad agreement on the committees of jurisdiction, that that will be enough to carry it through. Gotcha. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for this update on the Cloud Act, not ICBA. Uh, but I do have to tell you, Graham, if you come back next month with a different bill covering the same topic, you're going to be banished from TechSwamp. So you just watch your P's and Q's. <laughs> well, I'll be thinking about the next uh, acronym that I can come up with. And real quick before we um, get into member minutes, so tomorrow there is oh, oral yes, arguments you, from the Supreme Court or in front of the Supreme Court about the 
this issue. Can you give us just like a brief what we should be waiting for? Yeah, this will be really interesting. The issue that the Cloud Act and ICPA try to solve um, happens to be an issue being debated in the Supreme Court. And so the oral arguments tomorrow uh, are going to be between Microsoft and the Department of Justice. Department of Justice served an order on Microsoft seeking data on somebody who is an Irish citizen. Uh, The data is located in Ireland. And so there's some ambiguity as to whether or not U.S. law authorizes the FBI, Department of Justice, to issue that that order. So that's what they're going to be debating. The Cloud Act um, and ICPA would resolve it. Uh, The problem with the Supreme Court arguing about this, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, is that the Supreme Court would be interpreting a law from 1986, not designed for cloud computing, not designed for remote storage, um, and certainly not designed to deal with conflicts between foreign laws and U.S. law when it comes to to data access. So it was a time of shoulder pads and simple communications. Lots of hairspray, I think. Um, The Heathers. The Heathers, exactly. (laughs) So I was four, so I, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it's terrible. And we are going to have a follow-up podcast from the steps of the Supreme Court after this oral argument tomorrow. Uh, be on the lookout for that. Obviously, if you subscribe, it will automatically download on your phone. No what way. an idea. Shameless plug to subscribe. So now it's time for member minutes. Um, Today, obviously, we're talking Cloud Act, but we also wanted to talk a little bit about GDPR and how the two relate. So we have Graham with us. Uh, You already know him. Thanks, Graham. Um, And joining us now is Joel. He's our policy counsel here at ACT, and he's going to help us with some of the GDPR questions. Hey, Joel. Hello. Hello. All right, guys. So what does this really mean for our members? For Cloud, how, I mean, you sort of already touched on this, but this really does provide some clarity for them, ultimately. Ultimately, it should. In the near term, we're not going to see much change uh, in current law. Uh, So what we need to have happen, what the Cloud Act sets up as a framework for these agreements to take place. We would love to see the EU enter an agreement with the US um, so that the GDPR potential conflicts that may arise, there are a couple uh, that we're potentially concerned about. Uh, are dealt with, and that through the agreement, both the gov- both the U.S. government and the European Commission can stipulate to there being uh, no conflicts when it comes to uh, the transfer of data for law enforcement purposes, and um, that'll be really important for our, our member companies and, and others that are trying to do business abroad in terms of trying to figure out <laughs> how to comply with a order, an order, whether or not to comply with an order. So, so Grant, it sounds to me that. Um, if I'm understanding correctly, we need to get some comedy agreements in place and hopefully specifically with, you know, the, the EU. Yeah. Um, but once those are in place, might not happen, you know, immediately, but once those are in place, it should be pretty su- uh, smooth sailing for our members and knowing exactly what's sort of expected to them, expected of them moving forward. Yeah, it should make it, it should make things much easier, at least with the countries that we have those comedy agreements, um, uh, forged with, and, and that'll be important to make sure that not just the EU, but um, the, the countries that make up the EU and uh, Asian countries 
South American countries, uh, across the globe, we're going to need to drive that train uh, fast, fast after the bill hopefully passes. So we need first the Cloud Act to pass, and then second um, thing that our members pay attention to is making sure that these community agreements with these countries um, get passed as well. And then from that point on, we should be set moving forward. That's right. Um, and Joel, we've thrown around GDPR now. Can uh, can you give us like a brief overview of what GDPR is? And then maybe talk about how some of the possible issues that might arise that Graham alluded to might be? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, the GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation and is the overarching regulation for the entire European Union, specifically to privacy practices of certain uh, enterprise-facing and consumer-facing uh, either applications or networks or, I mean, you name it, as long as you deal with anything involving per personally identifiable information, it covers it. Got it. And uh, that inclu includes uh, questions about lawful access to data, but uh, is more specific to general interactions between uh, consumers and the companies who harbor that data, and also between companies and companies uh, who harbor uh, sensitive PII. So uh, in terms of uh, what Graham was alluding to, yeah, there is, uh, in, currently there is a significant question, particularly Article 48, on whether or not uh, the, uh, whether, whether or not there is a direct conflict between ECPA, which is the uh, regulation, or the SCA, which is the regulation that, or the statute that's being debated currently in the Supreme Court, we'll hear more about tomorrow, and the GDPR, which will go into effect May 25th uh, of this year. But interestingly, uh, the Cloud Act sort of, if, I mean, assuming all comedy, we get all comedy agreements from all the, uh, the relevant member states, would significantly resolve that concern. And so it is a great first step. Uh, there's a lot that needs to be done. But generally speaking, that's what the GDPR is. It's just a giant privacy regulation that governs a myriad of different uh, interactions and interplays between personal identifiable data and lawful access to data and what foreign companies or countries can do and can't do. And it's extraterritorial, so it really does not matter if you're based in the EU or not. If you harbor any PII that comes from a what's called an EU data subject or just a person who lives in the EU, it applies. So, Joel, let's get down to brass tacks here. So when it, I when love brass tacks. Yes, who doesn't? Um, so GDPR and, the, and, the, and this Cloud Act, for our member companies that are doing business in Europe, what are some things that they need to, be, they need to watch out for? And what are some resources that are available that can you know, help our member companies really understand what's going to be expected of them moving forward? It's an interesting question. It's a question that many data privacy experts are wondering themselves. Uh, there's a lot of ambiguity on what's required and what isn't required, but... Uh, we do articulate a lot of this in our GDPR guide, and it. Where can of, you find that GDPR guide, Joel? <laughs> our website, obviously, <laughs> and our Twitter handle because we've tweeted it out. It's pinned, so check it out. <laughs> yes. Also, yes. follow us on Twitter. Another shameless plug. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Joel. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what what they need to know immediately is what sort of data do they have? I mean, the first step in understanding whether or not. A, regulation applies to you is determining what does it regulate. And this regulates PII of data subjects in the EU. So first and foremost, every member should do an audit of their data, like full stop, and determine whether or not they actually harbor uh, 
any EU uh, data subject data, or PI specifically, then you need to determine another, another question. Are you a controller or are you a processor? Or are you what's called a co-controller? Uh, I can get into the, the uh, get into the actual definitions, but I think it's just more efficient to go to the guide to get a better uh, get understanding of those two concepts. And if you have more questions, tweet Obviously. at ACT members, mm -hmm. and we will answer them for you. So what it, all sorts of plugs. Sounds like to me, both Cloud Act GDPR have some very critical components that our members need to be paying attention to, especially when it involves the data that they have. Um, on their consumers or other companies. So the best way to find out more about how these affect you would be visit our blog on actonline.com or go to our Twitter and social media. So thanks, Graham. Thanks, Joel. Thank thanks. you. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> all right, this month, our random identifier is all Olympics all the time. And I will start because I love the Olympics and I think that they're great, and they are feats of athleticism that I can never actually like do myself, and so I have very strong feelings about them, but so do other people in the room. So I will open this up to comment. Okay, hot take, <sighs> right from the very beginning. The Winter Olympics are great and all, there's some cool sports and stuff. Summer Olympics, 10 times better. That is a hot take, get it? Summer. summer Olympics, <laughs> hot. Uh, yes. Get it? I okay, while I, while I hear you, and yes, more sports, a lot more to watch. Yeah. Personally enjoy some of them a little bit more than mm -hmm. the winter sports. Yeah. But like all, I just feel like one of the things that just needs to be pointed out. Yeah. Is like, say ice dancing. Right. You're throwing people around yeah. who are wearing literal blades on their feet. Yeah. And like, that's crazy. And snowboarding, people are flipping in the air, skiing. They go miles an hour. 70, up to 70. Yeah. Some miles, 70 miles per hour. hour. So Speed skating. They're yeah. going 70 miles per hour with sticks on their feet. Right. So I, I completely agree with all of that. And there's been some great moments in the Winter Olympics. But my thing, and I apologize in advance to any of our international members listening, but the great thing about the Summer Olympics is that the United States always wins. They're always in first place. They always get the gold. If you look at the standings right now, the United States in like sixth place. While we have done well, you know, Chloe Kim, the women's national hockey team, the... The, curling. The curl, yes, the curling. All fabulous moments. Favorite sport. Curling is awesome. But I love watching the Olympics, and I love seeing the United States win, and okay, that's where I'm at. But a little bit, and Graham and Joel, please chime in here, because you should be agreeing with me, which is that a little bit the Olympics are about that sort of, like, countries getting together and sort of celebrating each other and themselves and competing, and, like, that's great. And so sometimes we do it in the winter, and sometimes we do it in the summer, and, like, the point is that the Olympics are awesome. Everyone can bond in being jealous of all the United States Olympic gold. That's, That's where I'm at. You're sick. <laughs> <laughs> Which she means in a very friendly way. <laughs> okay, Graham, I know that you have some thoughts on the Olympics. Yeah. As they relate to a particular Olympian. Oh, I was going to say uh, Elizabeth Swanton is very... Um, uh, dear to my heart because she he, she um is not very good at skiing oh, okay wait she's actually pretty <laughs> good skiing. average she's like pretty good at skiing i will bet that like maybe she's not the half pipe like, <laughs> but like the, which was her chosen that was her chosen event was yeah. the half, half pipe and if you watch her uh performance she doesn't do any flips or anything she just like yeah, goes good. back and forth <laughs> still and, more than uh, i can do <laughs> 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 me too right like still 
little more athletic than myself. Oh, like, if she were one sure. of my friends, like, yeah, that's I mean, the greatest skier I know. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, skiing. Yeah. I mean, and, and for a little background, so she's she's from the U.S., Yeah. but so she was able to compete for... Business owner in the Bay Area. Yeah. And, like, uh, an impressive business person. Uh, but like and potential member potential member I bet <laughs> competed for Hungary right competed for Hungary I mean I'm all I'm saying is that the Olympics gave her an opportunity to be an Olympian yeah That's I, my I mean just like reiterating yeah she the didn't Olympics need to do any tricks uh, and she made it yeah it's awesome she's a true underdog yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Those little birds can only mean one thing. It's time for our Twitter Q&A. This is the part of the podcast where we answer all the questions that have been sent by you guys, our awesome followers and members, to our new handle, at ACT Members. Our first question is from Dave Noterer, based in Florida. Um, and his question is, any changes or reports of bad behavior relative to net neutrality changes? Joel, you want to take that one? Uh, yeah, well, the regulation has only been into effect for less than a week. Uh, I doubt there has been any real significant uh, charge against any any ISP generally. Uh, I, I, again, the, the, the short answer is the regulation is just too young. It, there's no way, there's no way to assess its effectiveness just yet. Something to keep an eye on. Yes. And our next question is from at Betsy Furler, and she's from Texas. She tweets us: Here's a question for the hashtag #TechSwampPodcast. As at your app lady, I have been researching TV streaming apps. How is the hashtag net neutrality situation going to affect streaming TV? Joel, I'll let you take that one as well. Uh, well, I guess that sort of depends on the regulatory framework that uh, derives out of this uh, recent change. Uh, I really hope whatever the FCC does moving forward, it encourages investment which uh, in infrastructure and build out and that will in turn help streaming apps. But again, this is exactly why uh, we had a call for Congress to, you know, I guess, do its job and, uh, and articulate the, the overall principles of internet freedoms. And so I think ultimately uh, that sort of question is a question that we all sort of have to some degree. And I think Congress should, you know, step to the plate and answer it. And our last well question. Thank you. Oh, yes. Sorry, Alex. Yes, well said, Joel. And our last question is from no credit. <laughs> uh, at Motion Mobs in Alabama. How will new regulations in the EU and the Cloud Act in the U.S. impact the recommendations we make to clients regarding where they store data for international users? Thanks, ACT team. Wow, it's almost like they were listening to our podcast uh, beforehand. <laughs> Graham, do you want to take this one? Also, you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to be, um, well, I think the uh, in the short run, there's not going to be much change, and in the long run, there probably shouldn't be much change as well because GDPR, as we talked about, the touchstone for the GDPR coming out of the, again, coming out of the European Union, is the citizenship of the person, and therefore it has a global reach. And so the store, the location of the storage isn't necessarily going to, to matter to that, to that uh, calculus that you would have to do to determine whether or not the GDPR applies, and if so, how do you comply with it? Um, and so on the European side, it doesn't really necessarily make a difference. Hopefully, um, once the Cloud Act is fully implemented and you have comity agreements with the, our trading partners, um, you, it will matter even less where, where your data is stored because there are provisions in the Cloud Act that say that when you enter into these comity agreements, you're not going to impede the global flow of information. And that means that 
companies will be free to make that business decision. Where should I store my data from a cost standpoint? Where should I store my data from a logistics standpoint as opposed to um, what other country's laws am I going to offend or um, what conflicts should I look out for? Awesome. Thanks, Graham. Yeah. Thanks to at Dave Noterer, at Betsy Furler, and at Motion Mobs for tweeting us questions. If you guys have any questions for next month's podcast or in general, make sure to tweet us at ACT members so we can get you some answers. All right, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, music included, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And special thanks to Graham and Joel for helping us out today. And we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who composed the podcast's awesome music. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And of course, we'd love a rate and review. Five stars, please. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow for our special U.S. v. Microsoft episode where we will be coming to you from the steps of the Supreme Court. That's all for today, folks. Everyone say bye. Bye. Bye.